0: This is Jeff Stanfield. Thank you for listening to the Big Honker Podcast. Big Honker Podcast is sponsored by Stanfield Hunting Outfitters. Two fat boys from Wichita Falls, Texas had a vision 27 years ago they were going to start getting guiding hunts. 27 years later, we are one of the largest waterfowl outfitters in the United States. We had 27 years in the, in the business. We'll take care of you. If you're looking for that dove hunt, deer hunt, duck hunt, goose hunt, Texas, Oklahoma, shoot some pheasants or doves, wild hogs, call us at Stanfield Hunting Outfitters. That's www.stanfieldhunting.com. We look forward to talking to you. Just ask for the fat guy. Big Honker podcast brought by William and Chris Vineyards. That's WilliamandChrisWines.com, and that is home of the Sway Rose. I've been saying it's Sway Rose, it's Sway Rose, because I don't. I'm not much of a wine drinker. Michelle's a wine drinker, and I got educated <laughs> on all of this. So, anyways, <laughs> <laughs> this commercial is brought to you by WilliamandChrisWines.com out of High Texas. That can be found at Bucky's, HEB, and Central Market.
1: I thought Sway was like another company or something.
0: It's it's, it's Sway Rosé. Really? Chris Chris educated me. He sent me a message.
1: With a with a line over the E?
0: He didn't only just, yeah, he not only sent me a message, he sent me one of those voice texts, mm-hmm. and it said Sway Rosé. Rosé,
1: yeah. Rosé's the popular one. Rosé's Rose
0: actually really good. I like Rosé. Well, he's fixing to send us a bunch of it. I like so, a good Rose. So I've been saying Sway Rose
1: fuck that all
0: i'm not a wine drinker i don't know wow (laughs) anyways chris sent me a dude he said "Jeff, that's sway rose and he not only spelled it out but then he sent me the sway rose rose and i started to record his little way of saying it to put it in there but anyways folks they're great sponsors it's a great product great people that's william and chris vineyards in high texas
1: such a great product you didn't even know the name well, if you're
0: a wine drinker, it's, it is. Michelle says it's a great product. She's love, a wine drinker. Yeah,
1: I love rosé. That's what they
2: that's what they gave us in Oklahoma.
0: Yeah, that was before they put it on the market.
2: I'll be. I yeah. feel special now. Oh, well. Go get you some Sway rosé. Hey, everybody. Zach Shaver here. You ever look out in the distance and wonder why those ducks circling aren't finishing in your decoys? Well, it's probably because you don't have a 737 duck call on your lanyard. Guys, take it from me. If you take anything from this podcast, listen to my advice on this. I've been doing this since I was four years old. I'm 25 now. I'll let you do the math. All right. I carry nothing but 737 on my lanyard. It is my go-to call when the going gets tough. When I need to get the birds down, that's what I'm going to. Do yourself a favor and go to www.737duckcalls.com and order you one a day. Also, look them up on their social media on Instagram and Facebook at 737duckcalls. Hey boys and girls, Andy Shaver here. Thank you for tuning in to the Big Honker Podcast. This show is brought to you by Dive Bomb Industries. Dive Bomb is the leader in silhouette manufacturing in the decoy market today. They're what we use. We use them seven days a week. You know, it's not like we're, we're pushing a product on you that we don't fully believe in because, hey, we use them too. Their color schemes are out of this world. They've got these deep, dark, uh, rich colors on their decoys. Their stake system is phenomenal, and they pack up like a dream. So on those days that you have to walk your stuff out out to the field, Pharma won't let you drive in. Dive Bomb pack up nice and neat. You can just walk your decoys right out there, no problem at all. And for listeners of this podcast, if you like money, Dive Bomb is going to let you keep just a little bit more in your pocket by using the promo code BIGHONKER at checkout. That's promo code BIGHONKER, all lowercase, two words, BIG SPACE HONKER. Save yourself 10% at checkout. The season's coming quick. Go to divebombindustries.com today. Fill up your shopping cart. Use the promo code BIGHONKER. Save yourself some money. Get you some great-looking decoys. And as luck would have it, on the show today, we have the vice president of Dive Bomb Industries himself, Asher Tolliver. Asher is also a major league pitcher, so we caught him before a game, gave him a buzz, and he's just an incredible, an incredible guest. So passionate about the outdoors, and we just have a great time. We talk about everything from baseball, the baseball, the bench-clearing brawls that you see in baseball. He had not got to do any of that yet, but he's got a plan. Uh, we talk about dive bomb and and what drew us to them and uh and some of the stuff that that's coming from dive bomb today so this is a great episode we had a ton of fun doing it lots of laughs great guy to talk to so we hope that you enjoy this one
1: Here we go. Three, two,
0: one. Boom. This is Jeff Stanfield. This is Andy Shaver. And this is the Big Honker Podcast. And we have a special guest on today. We have Asher Tolliver. And Asher is the vice president of Dive Bomb Decoys, which is a sponsor and the best decoy on the market. And Asher plays professional baseball. And we're going to dive right in. Asher, how you doing? Oh, I'm
3: doing pretty good. Pretty good. Just enjoying a, another beautiful day up here in Long Island.
0: Long, Long Island, huh? It's pretty country up there.
3: Yeah, it's alright. I mean, it's um, you know, I'm a I'm a Southern guy, and I like I like open spaces. Uh, but as you get further out on the island, it's kind of nice. Uh, you know, if you start heading back, you know, west toward the city, it gets a little crazy. But uh, yeah, it's it's not bad.
0: Have you been invited to any of them fancy Hampton houses yet for anything?
3: Oh no, I'm not that important. Uh, you know, I might have to cruise down there one day and take the drone out and see if I can scope them out or something. But <laughs> no, I haven't.
0: <laughs> that's that's high cotton from a kid from Stuttgart. You're from Stuttgart, aren't you?
3: Well, no, I'm actually I'm actually from North Rock. Uh Stuttgart's about oh, it's about. 50 minutes, maybe an hour, um, to my east-southeast. Um, but, uh, no, I'm actually from North Little Rock. I'm, I'm about just about 10 minutes north of the city.
1: So is is that where you grew up hunting, that Stuttgart area?
3: Yeah, so, I mean, pretty much in Arkansas, if you just draw a straight line down the state, I mean, yeah, you can kill ducks on the western half of the state. But if you draw a straight line and head east, uh, that's predominantly where where your duck hunting is taking place, um, you know, northeast, east-central, east, east central, and southeast. Um, you know, they, they kill ducks in the western part of the state, but our flyway, uh, you know, all our our, our uh, national wildlife refuges like the Cache River Bottoms, White River Bottoms, hundreds of thousands of acres of bottomland timber that floods when the white and the Cache get out, all our wildlife management areas uh, that have been... Um, you know that have been maintained and, and built up to you know for waterfowl and, and deer hunting and stuff and so that that's our flyway as you head east uh, so most of the places I, I do all my hunting is you know will be anywhere from from uh, thirty 45 minutes to an hour and a half away from the house so what is
1: the hunting what is the hunt give us the honest scoop because I've heard kind of mixed things going on with Stuttgart right now are the are the ducks not showing up like they used to?
3: Um, well, everybody, everybody, you know, the Stuttgart is known, obviously, as the rice and duck capital of the world and all that stuff. You got Biomita down there that, um, you know, it's a world famous wildlife management area and it's, um, it's, it's madness. But I mean, personally, if if you ask me, um, if you look at I-40, it, it basically runs from Little Rock and heads, uh, east to Memphis, man, I like to do my hunting north of I-40. I think the birds, they get there sooner. I think they get more concentrated there. I like, I like hunting up there. Um, I think Stuttgart's great. Um, and when, when they get down there, I mean, they go, when, when Biomeda gets water in some of those places, yeah, I mean, they flock to that place like, you know, Moss to a Flame, but the people do too. And, um, it's, it's madness. It really is. People that think that they can read about, you know, Stuttgart and the Ducks Unlimited magazine and say, oh man, we can go out there and show up and kill ducks. It's like, man, you are going to be in for some kind of a rude awakening because boy, oh boy, is it just it, it ain't like that, man. It is not like that at all. You better you better, you know, cross your T's dodge your eyes. You better have done your homework, done some scouting, find a way to get away from some people. Know the water situation because if if you're in there on a you know, just kind of going in for a recon trip, you, you just hang it up.
1: Is most everything out there? Is it most? Is most of it uh, season leased by people? Because you, you know, just act like it's it's it, it's pretty tough to get on property there.
3: Oh, I mean you know it's just it's so you know green timber hunting it's what everybody you know it's it's kind of like when you start talking about bucket list stuff you know for us we kind of take it for granted but a lot of people uh people say oh we've got green timber in Missouri or we got green timber up in Illinois or we're hunting it's like no you don't that's that's not green timber green timber is getting down in the bottoms the natural river bottoms and that flood out you know due to you know the rivers breaking their banks and it's just what people people want to do. I mean, you go to a boat ramp, man, at some of these refuges and wildlife mansion areas, and you'll see, you know, 120, 150 trucks. And, I mean, maybe I'd say those 75 to 80% of them are from out-of-state. Um, wow. You know, the out-of-staters, um, yeah, they, they come, and, and, and they, they spend a lot of money over here. I mean, the Game, the game of Fish, they've done a few things to try to curb it um but but they do generate a lot of you know a lot of revenue for us in some of these small towns and and I, I like to go hunt in other places so i'm not i'm not gonna complain one bit about it you know you just gotta you just gotta find a way to uh to make yourself better you got to do some scouting you know know the water levels find out how to get away from people where the ducks are going to be in certain situations and you can still kill a lot of ducks but the misconception that you can read about it and read about these ducks just pouring in the timber and these magazine articles and it makes it sound all like sunshine and rainbows. Uh, that's just not true. But we still get the ducks, man. There's no question. I mean, mallard ducks, we get them and, and they get thick. But if you're going to be hunting them on public ground, you better you better know what you're doing or go with
0: somebody that knows what they're doing. Is that is the clay pool reservoir? Is that a, is that public land or is that is that off limits?
3: That's a private reservoir. That's up in uh, Wiener, Arkansas, which is up uh, in northeast Arkansas. Uh, I believe it's south of Jonesboro. Um, yeah, and that's where that old famous that famous image was taken that you see all over the place.
0: I've got it on my wall right next to me. I'm looking at it. That's why I made me think about that. It's
3: incredible! I can't imagine uh, being around during during those times. They say those are the good old days. and Maybe one day we'll be saying these were the good old days, and who knows, you know. But uh, that 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 had to have been pretty awesome. I
1: I, th- I think these are the good old days, just because uh, I think so too, man. You know the the populations are, are just so good, and you know, unfortunately, it's kind of a double edged sword. But there's not a whole lot of hunters anymore, so you can kind of.
0: Unless you're at a boat ramp in Unless you're at Arkansas. a boat ramp in Stuttgart, Arkansas. Unless you're
3: in Arkansas, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> You, you do set it. up it. Get out there at Ford. Somebody comes, sets up right on top of you
0: about fifteen minutes
3: for shooting line, about seventy-five yards.
0: <laughs> I couldn't imagine what 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 kind of spreads does the average duck hunter run there? Because you got to do something different to get people to get birds on to your to your spread. What, you, what uh, kind of spread?
3: As in a, in the timber or yes, or in, timber. Like if you're hunting a you know private rod. No, timber it's tim- tim- public timber,
0: public timberland, public timber, public
3: hunt. timber. Um, your number one thing is is far from being your decoy spread uh number one thing is is uh obviously like for all of us it's it's the x and that the flight pattern that those birds are taking in there because dude they move every day i mean depending on the water levels um they are just constantly moving and um just knowing ahead of time, being one step ahead, knowing where they want to be, knowing where that new water is, almost kind of following those edges, you know, staying, you know, because those birds, they're, and there's times we're hunting places where you can't even float a decoy, you know, they're almost laid over on their side. I mean, you're in an ankle deep water, um, not even enough water to splash, mm-hmm. um, you know, so getting, getting that new water, chasing that new water, um, or or chasing the fall of the water, you know, being on the edges and uh decoy spread i like to run big pretty much all the time people say oh late season you know put a jerk string out do your calling i like to run big but your number one thing is is no no question about it you got to have good callers you got to have loud callers everybody on the same page we run what's called cut down calls they're extremely loud um they're made for public timber and, and getting that sound out there they're incredibly incredibly loud incredibly raspy and, uh, you get six, eight, ten guys and just start wailing on them to try to break them down. And then you just kind of work as a team to, to work them in. Sounds decently similar to kind of how you guys do with those lessers. Uh, you know, you're staying on them all the way, but, um, nah, the decoy spreads are, man, decoys are, are far, for, other than having a jerk string and getting some movement out there if you can, uh, your decoy spread is, it's, it's several, several points down on the list on, on, uh things of importance that you need to check off to be able to be successful in the woods.
0: Well, how many are you running, though? How many decoys? Um,
3: If I'm in a big timber hole, I'll fill it up, kind of spread them out through the woods. I might run, um, you know, five, six, seven dozen. If it's a little tight timber hole late season, I might run two or three dozen. But on average, throughout the course of the season,
0: I'd say about six dozen, about kind of that, that magic number. Because I've seen pictures with guys have 10, 15 dozen duck decoys and they got a dozen spinners running. Yeah, that's a joke.
3: They've actually – they've actually. okay, I say it's a joke. Spinners in, in fields and open areas, I, I think they're great. They're for visibility. But I'll tell you what, these ducks that we've got, and thankfully Game and Fish stepped in and they outlawed those things on our public ground, which was the greatest thing that ever happened to our duck hunting because those ducks got so conditioned because we're shooting a lot of this at the same ducks every day very very pressured duck and man it's like a war zone in there come shooting light but somehow <laughs> those ducks they just keep coming every day i mean it's like biomeda. dude it sounds like world war ii in there and you, they'll still come in i mean they just they've gotten conditioned to it but man those those spinners man they get down below the treetops and you're no longer finishing those big bunches of 60, 70, 80, 100, 200, letting them come all the way into the water, man, they'll, you'll get three or four to dip down, and you'll have some kid over there that, you know, with his three and a half inch shells and his extended range pattern master, and he shoots them on the dip, you know, at the treetops and screws it up for everybody in that area trying yeah. to work in a big bunch. So those spinners, that was the thing I noticed on year one after we got rid of those things is is um, good calling, good jerk string. We are able to finish big bunches again all the way to the water not like this get three or four of them to dip and then you got to shoot because man them things would dip and then boom they pick right back up circle around circle around dip but in a field an open area you know if you're out in a field in Stuttgart or Jonesboro you know I think they're great for visibility um in open areas but man that timber they are like they're like poison they 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 killed the quality of duck hunting in the timber
0: Sounds to me like they're doing the same thing with the mallards in Arkansas. That like you were talking about those kids shooting. That's what they did to the snow goose. They just they conditioned it to getting shot at sixty yards, and they don't they don't finish no more like they used to. Right,
3: and and if I, you know I can sit here and say, oh well, it's this kid that's got his face covered in paint, and he sets up seventy five yards from us. It's like, but man, did anybody ever teach that kid other than what he saw some some guy on YouTube that didn't know what he was doing or some, you know, did anybody ever, you know, all of us, we sometimes we like to take for granted the fact that we grew up around hunting and we had people to introduce us to do it the right way and the ethical way and respect your fellow guy that's over in the next hole or whatever, you know, to not shoot at that single, whenever you've got a group of 50 circling, you know, but you know, some of these guys, they, they haven't been taught the right way. You know, we want to get all fired up and, and, you know, get mad and start yelling and stuff but it's like they don't the guys don't know better man nobody taught them any differently they just saw it and they think it's cool and nowadays with social media man you go out there and you take your pictures and put them on your instagram with your two wood ducks and you get you know get your 50 likes and <laughs> um, but no i mean it's just um we just got to have people that are invested in in some of these younger guys that are coming up that are being able to drive themselves hunting and teach them how to do it the right way. Otherwise, it's the quality all across the country, and I'm not just talking about in our our green timber, but everywhere. The, the quality will be diminished due to um, the, the ethics just kind of go out the window. The respect and, um, you know, it's just I think that's very, very important that we're teaching people not only how to hunt but how to do it the right way, especially people that don't have a good mentor.
1: You know, even uh, we're you know there's other there's competing outfitters in our area, and uh, if if they're set up close to us, like when you can hear volleys, I'll even catch myself because at the end of the day, you know we're kind of we kind of work a little bit together. We're on different teams, obviously, but you know if if they've got a big bunch spinning and I've only got a single or something, you know I'm gonna I'm gonna hold off for as long as I can to try to,
0: sure, you
1: know even my competitor, I at least you know grant them the grant them that right but it's just right. now i'm not saying i do it every time because there's a couple times that you know feathers get ruffled in this business and hey i'm gonna bring right. you there are
3: clients there that have paid money to kill
0: birds get a, a bunch come in that you guys can work on and that's just that's that's part of it yep but and, and, and that's, we don't deal with all the public land stuff, no. problems, thank God. But I, I see what you're coming from. And a lot of the older people that are doing it, 30 year old men, they started watching Duck Dynasty and they bought them some duck decoys and they live in, you know, and they know Arkansas is the place to go. So they just go and, and they don't know any better either. And, 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 and we see that I've seen that with goose hunt. We've had guys come up on a goose hunt and, and they'll ask me, you know, Ooh, what kind of decoys should we buy? So, you know, tell them to buy some dive bombs and they do this. And then you look up and they're trying to drive around the same area you're hunting. And I'm thinking, and they got three, and and they've got three dozen decoys. I thought, buddy, we made it look a whole lot simpler than it is. That's right. I mean, we we make it, we make it look easy when it's not. And, and, and they do that. So, we're going to get off duck hunting a little bit. I want to talk about Asher now. Asher plays pro baseball, right? Yep. And did, did, on your Facebook, is there a picture with you and Donald Trump in the Oval Office? <laughs>
3: yeah, there is. Um, I I was with the Houston Astros last year and um, spent some time in the major leagues with them. And, um, you know, as everybody that watches baseball, that Saw baseball, and by the way, I'm going to have to have a talk with Andy talking about
0: baseball. I wondered when this. I wondered when this was going to really come not up. Not very
3: entertaining to watch on TV. It's fun to play. I, I, I. Yeah, so um, won the World Series, and uh, you know, like like they do uh, with teams that win a World Series or a, a, a Super Bowl or some. Um, very not very wise that choose not to attend the opportunity of a lifetime i will never understand but um whenever i got that invite i was absolutely stoked and um man that was that was a really really cool experience
1: how he looks pretty tall he's like 6'3 isn't he
3: yeah he's a big dude so it was pretty funny so we're standing in the um in the room where they do all the you know I guess the media stuff, and they take all the videos in front of the the podium where he addresses. I can't remember the name of the room, but we're standing in there on the little stage. And Justin Verlander's to my left, and he's a he's a big dude, and Jose Altuve, as everybody knows, I mean, he's like five six. I mean, just <laughs> small dude, unbelievable person, unbelievable baseball player, but he is tiny. And he's standing. You know, of course, they want Jose front and center because he's you know he's the he's the face. You know of, of the whole deal, the Astros and baseball. And he's just Mm -hmm. an icon for all these kids that are small and uh, just a great (laughs) (laughs) guy. Anyway, so Justin Verlander's standing there, and and Jose's kind of behind the podium. And he's like, yeah, so they're talking about where we're going to stand, how we're going to walk in. And then when the president comes in, Verlander kind of raises his hand. He's a big guy, you know, and he's kind of like, you know, well, the president's going to be standing right here in O.T. And Jose is going to be standing right here, you know. They're like, he's like, isn't the president a pretty big dude, like six three six four ish? And they're like, yeah. And he's like, yeah. Jose is going to be hidden, and he was standing on the second rafter of the uh, of the you know of our little stand. You know, yeah. they got the, the rafters of three or four, or whatever. And Jose was at right dead center, and he was on like the second rafter. So they're like, okay. He's on the second rafter. He's still going to be hidden behind the president. <laughs> so we're going to we're gonna have to move him up to the front and move him off to the side. But, yeah, he's he's a pretty big dude, man. He, uh, You know, the whole thing about the hand and stuff, yeah. that, that was pretty funny. I remember shaking his hand, and I said, hey, Mr. President, you know, I, um, you, you're doing a fantastic job. Um, and I noticed he, he does. guy's got some big hands. He's a big dude, you know, <laughs> so that was pretty funny the whole thing. Uh, the whole hands deal and <laughs> so I couldn't help but think about that
1: <laughs> did you bring it up to him like oh you I didn't
3: know, I wasn't that brave uh, he'd have got uh, a he
1: got a kick out of it
3: I did ask him he's got a button right there on his desk in the office and I was like just like what is that button I wonder what that button's for <laughs> yeah man that's got to do something like pretty really cool yeah. but
1: uh whose day is that going to ruin if we push that button you brought up Justin Verlander have you got to see uh-huh. Kate Upton in person?
0: You kind of cut out on Can me. Can, have you seen Have you seen Kate Upton in person? Kate Upton.
3: Oh no, I didn't. Whenever I I was um, in Triple A, whenever we acquired um, Justin from Detroit, um, so I never uh, no I, I never did get to, to get to meet Kate Upton.
1: She's smoking hot. <laughs> And, I, and i'm I'll, a married man yeah so.
3: tough life right make 27 million a year and just be a absolute stud workhorse on the mound and then you get to go home to kate Upton.
1: listen some guys have it rougher than others all right i mean and i pray for him every right. night
0: That's, well i've seen all of kate upton don't so never it's, have what we
3: have though
4: never
1: <laughs> is he not a, is he not a hunter he seems like a, a down-to-earth kind of guy
3: nah, i don't think so you'd be surprised at the lack of the lack of hunters in in professional baseball, man. Every year, I'm like, I'll meet a couple guys. And, oh man, a few guys that are they're they're very fair weather, man. There's very very few that I've met over my career. Which one is now one of my really really good friends, and he's he's a hardcore ducks hunter. He was uh, he was actually just in the big leagues with Baltimore last week. Uh, good buddy of mine, Corbin Joseph, one of the few that I've met over the years that really is. A hardcore duck hunter, but most of them, you know, they'll talk about it a little bit. They may be gone a few times, but nah, they're they're fair weather. There's there's not many in, in professional baseball, and, and which and baseball, is surprising, you know. It's it's weird. It feels like because our our schedule's so just perfect for that, it. You know? That's what I was about I mean, to say. it's Just a perfect schedule, yeah, for a waterfowl hunter.
1: Yeah, I mean, waterfowl season ends, baseball season kind of starts kicking off. Right,
3: as soon baseball, as we going to our off season. Yeah. Ready to go chase ducks, and as soon as you're done chasing ducks, you're heading to spring training. Exactly. I get no better than that.
1: No, it really doesn't. So you're a pitcher, right?
3: I am. I'm a left-handed pitcher. Um, I've been playing, gosh, I guess it doesn't seem like. I feel. I still feel like I should, I'm young, you know, which I am. I'm 30, but I feel like I'm like 23. Mm-hmm. But uh, now I was drafted. Uh, I started in 09. Uh, got drafted in the fifth round by the Baltimore Orioles. Spent about eight years with them. Spent some time. I, I made made to the big leagues with the Orioles. Spent some time with the Los Angeles Angels. Uh, spent some time with the Houston Astros, Seattle Mariners. Got to see some 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 cool parts of the country and um, meet some cool people and uh, experience some some pretty cool stuff. So it's it's been a it's been a fun fun thing that ultimately led me to working with
1: Dovall. So, Jeff Jeff and I were watching the the College World Series last week and they were talking about the Florida pitcher. He was a first round draft pick and this what what is go through that so he was pitching in the World Series but he's already been drafted. So, after after he's done with the World Series in college, does he go straight to I think Kansas City drafted him.
3: Um so There's a lot of levels to the minor league. It's funny, a lot of people, when you get drafted, like, oh, man, you don't see the big leagues. It's like, uh, well, this ain't the NFL. Right. Uh, You've got rookie ball, advanced rookie, short season A ball, low A, high A, double A, triple A, big league. So, essentially, you have seven levels before you make it to the show. So, Mm -hmm. most guys, you know, him being a first-rounder, I'd say he'd probably start in, like, Short season a balls where they'd probably send him, and then next year he'll probably start in, like, low A or high A, depending on how well he does. And then uh, just prove yourself at every level, work your way up to the show. And um, But, no, there's been, I don't know, in the last, you know, decade or more, maybe, maybe one dude that's, you know, skipped the minor leagues and gone straight to the big leagues. I know it used to happen more. Um, you know, in in um you know, in the seventies and sixties, seventies, eighties, but these days, man, these kids, these kids that are coming up are so talented and so specialized. I mean, you got kids getting, you know, private special lessons that you know, I I work with kids that are like nine, ten, you know, back home. Dad thinks he's gonna be the next Roger Clemens.
4: Mm-hmm. And
3: um man, these kids are like eighteen and they're coming off the island at Dominican or here Venezuela, they're throwing ninety-eight miles an hour. and They're hitting four hundred and fifty-foot home runs. Just massive, massive human beings. And they're still kids. Um Man, it's just crazy. Uh, it, it's just so hard to move up. It's, it's just kind of these days. It's almost station to station because everybody's so good. I mean, you'll see these guys drafted in the twenty-fifth round. They're out there throwing ninety-five, ninety-six miles an hour. You know, so it's it's changed. It's not like it used to be.
0: I think Bobby Witt went straight from OU. He used to hunt with us a lot. I think Bobby went straight from OU to the Texas Rangers. I don't. I don't know that he played minor league ball more than one. Maybe the first year he got drafted. I think the next yeah, year it, he was. It, a, it happened. It's, but it is very rare.
3: It's rare,
0: man. These days, it's it's impossible. It It, it don't happen at all
3: anymore. But it
0: it used to. Do you? Uh, so. You, you you play ball where where where's the we we're, we're going to get into the decoys and the this is waterfowl but i want, we want to talk a lot of our listeners are, are really interested in things besides the waterfowl so where's the where's the coolest stadium you've played in in the majors
3: um, man uh, camden yards is pretty cool uh with baltimore that's a it's a pretty neat place um it's it's um I don't know. There's something about it. It's just kind of. It's kind of got a. Uh, it's got the you know the old train station warehouse back there that's behind the wall, and it. It's not Mer- like a, the new arc, You know, it's like new mixed with old. If that makes sense, it's just. It's kind of cool. It's not like Fenway where it's still old or Wrigley, but it's not like New Yankee Stadium where it's all like modern. It's like kind of a, a cool little blend of both. And uh, Minute Maid was cool last year just because. Uh, you know, being indoors is is pretty cool but just the buzz with that team and how good they were and they're so good again this year but um, that was a fun, fun place to play but I'd say as far as like stadium and just, just being downright cool Cannon Yards is pretty sweet
0: Ain't that where Babe Ruth was born in the outfield, wasn't
3: he? Oh shoot No, Ruth. I don't, maybe Well, it used to be Old Memorial Stadium um, so that you know, when Babe Ruth would have been playing there, he'd have been playing there. a no, whole no, wasn't
0: no, wasn't he born though where the outfield is on, in a house right there? That's what I've always read. Oh shoot, man, don't get me wrong. I, I think that I think <laughs> I, if, I think uh, if you look it up, that's true. That Ber, that Babe Ruth, whatever street was right there that they tore down to build the stadium, that he was born in a house right huh. there. That sounds fake. No, it's, it's a true story. Andy always. You're going to find this out, Asher. Andy always doubts me on shit, and then he looks it up, and he never says, oh, you know what? Jeff was right on that. He, 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 no, he some- sure
3: wasn't doubting those Texas Tech Red Raiders until the Razorbacks got a hold of them. Listen, and started doubting them real quick.
1: I don't know. I, in Lubbock, I, I don't think that they teach you how to call for the ball. I mean, there were like ah. three or four pop flies that they fucking ran into one another. I mean, come
3: on, guys.
0: It's this way in football. All we hear is excuses, excuses, Asher.
1: What are they? What's what?
3: Oh, yeah. Man, I tell you what. On my Facebook, there are a lot, you know, being from Arkansas, everybody's from Arkansas, you know, Man, we got a lot of new baseball fans. Isn't it funny how that works? <laughs> yes. Yes, exactly. Andy. Everybody's a Razorback baseball fan now, man. These people are crickets for – They mean, they don't know what baseball is. Man, they're going to Omaha. And, man, we're about to win our – First national championship. It's like, man, come on. Now, now you I heard know, Andy. Everybody wants to be a part of something winning because our football team has been pretty pretty much trash for a while. But man, they blah.
0: Fans, I will tell you what. You heard Andy bitch about baseball the whole time, didn't you? That's all he's talked oh. about. Bitch, bitch, bitch about baseball, <laughs> and then all of a sudden he's a baseball fan.
1: I'm not a. Uh, listen. I, I enjoy the college world series. It's a lot of fun to watch. It's better that, no offense to your position that you play Asher. There's nothing worse in baseball than a one than a pitcher's duel. I want to see somebody go put up 12 15 points and you get that in college.
3: We have the best position. We're we're the only ones on the field elevated, so we're
0: closer <laughs> to God. <laughs> So, so when, when, when you got your call up, you, you went from the minors, where, where, and, you, and you go to the majors, what was the biggest thing that just aw- wowed you about being in the majors? Oh,
3: man, I think just the fact that
0: I had been through so much,
3: so many injuries, and, um, you know, you, you're a little kid, and you got your yearbook, and they say, what do you want to be when you grow up? 90% of the boys, what does it say? I want to play in the NFL.
0: I want to be a porn star.
3: In Major League Baseball. I want to play in the NBA. And then that night, just kind of getting that realization—like, holy shit, dude! Like, Nick, you're in yeah. the big leagues. Yeah. You know, like when we we went out and we f- played Boston, and um, I don't think it really hit me. I was warming up on Memorial Day, and uh, I was coming in to face Big Poppy. Poof. <laughs> and. I was like, damn, like this is, this is live, man. (laughs) You know, this is real. Yeah. Um, Talk about your heart feeling like it's about to come out of your chest. I remember my pitching coach walked up and he put his hand on my heart. He goes, oh, (laughs) that's great. (laughs) (laughs) Because man, it's just, you know, it's something you work for your whole life and you finally get there. You don't, you, you know, it's just, I don't know. I can't explain it, man. It's just so special um, to be able to do that. Um, Just knowing how few people get the opportunity to do that, how lucky and blessed that I am to, to have been given the ability to be able to do that. And just thinking about all the support that I've had over the years and the people that I've lost, you know, in my life that were really proud of me that thinking about what they would have thought if they knew that this, little undersized kid from you know central Arkansas and who was never the best player on his team made it to the big leagues everything just kind of coming together thinking yeah. about your parents and the travel ball and the money spent that we necessarily didn't have at times um, all that just kind of coming into one it's 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 uh it's pretty emotional um, pretty special and um but yeah just the shock factor being like man I've been admiring these dudes on tv for a long time now i got to figure out how to get this dude out
1: i'm about to strike his ass out well how'd you do against him
3: i don't want to talk about it <laughs> oh shit oh shit dude he clipped my ass <laughs> 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 that i gave up in the big leagues that i've given up in the big leagues and it was uh it was david ortiz he got me he got you i uh i went out there right off the bat went boom fastball strike one boom Fastball, fouled off, strike two. Fastball up. Xander Bogarts was on first. He stole second. We threw him out to end the inning. So I had him Uh 0-2. I had him 1-2. I go back out the next inning to face him to lead off the inning. And I go, boom, fastball, strike one. Same thing. Boom, fastball, fouled off, strike two. Then I go fastball in. I missed in. 1-2. Fastball in again. Fouled it back. Fastball elevated. Fouled it back. So I was like, okay. You know he's on my fastball. I threw him a splitter. I hung it, and he deposited it into the right field seat. Oof. <laughs> Oof.
0: <laughs> so well, go into the. <laughs> that's a Hall of Fame hitter, though. I yeah. mean, you gave up your home run. Yeah, so to... I,
3: I've got a ball. I got a ball. Uh, it's kind of common for guys in the big leagues. They'll send over balls to the other clubhouse to have guys they sign. You know, maybe someone like Derek Jeter, or Mariano Rivera, or people that or maybe retiring soon or whatever. So I, I had our clubby, I sent him over a ball, and I was like, hey, see if, you, see if David will sign this for me. So he signed it, and, you know, congrats on, you know, congrats making the big leagues, David Ortiz, number five, you know, 17 or whatever home run it was. So I've got that, I've got that actually um, in a in a case in my office at the house. So it's, at the time, man, it was brutal. It was like getting your heart ripped out of your chest. <laughs> um and then seeing your highlights on espn all day yeah Um, (laughs) but after that now that it's been a couple years it looking back on i was like man if i'm gonna get clipped by anybody the first one that's a pretty dang good one to have you know have got me so at least it wasn't some dude that got called up for like you know four at bats and took me deep and then he got sent back and never made it back
1: so. so so were you pissed that you had to face him twice like back to back innings. What's that? Were you pissed off that you had to face it? Like, oh shit! You threw him out of sitting Now I got to face David uh, Ortiz well, again.
3: Well, in that first inning, I was like, I've got him. Like, I've got him. And, and the second inning, I was ahead, and I made a couple really good pitches that that he fouled off, and I was like, well, I've got him sped up. I've got him. And if I would have if I would have executed the pitch and got it down, I probably would have punched his ticket. But uh, that's baseball. I didn't execute it, and and he did what he paid to do, and. Um, you know, there's a flag court right there in right field at Camden Yards that, that the wall is a little closer and a little taller. Yeah. And then it goes down, the wall goes down, and, man, he hit it right in that gap, right there between where the, the wall goes from big to small. So if it had been just a hair to the right, it probably would have been a – It, it may be, at the worst, it would have been a double, but maybe a long single just because he, he hit it well and would have deflected off that board. But he got it just, just to the left of that flag court and, and – um. It's, uh, it's a good memory these days.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's that's definitely a story. Um, going to the – you talk about just just the ball of nerves that you are. D- when you first got called up, do you go into, like, autopilot mode? Is there much thinking when you're on the mound, or are you just, are you just trying to fake it until you make it, basically? Um,
3: the first the – f- so when I made my debut, oddly enough, I pitched with Houston last year. But when I made my debut, I was with the Baltimore. More Orioles. We were on the road playing the Astros, so I'm warming up in the bullpen there at Minute Maid, and they're like, um, "All right, you 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 know you've got the next inning, whatever." So I look at the lineup and I see that Colby Rasmus—he's the lead off hitter that inning. He's a left-handed hitter, and I got a string of lefties coming up, which is you know a left-handed pitcher that's that's good. And I had like left, left, right, left, which was going to be a good little run for me. And, um, I'm warming up. At the time, it's just kind of like, oh, oh my gosh, this is happening. But I remember opening the door from the bullpen and just seeing the, the massiveness of the stadium and the lights. And I just kind of like hit my glove and I was like, let's fucking go, man. Like, (laughs) this is it. You know, this is it. Let's, let's go. Like, fucking giddy up, dude. Yeah. And, uh, when I got on the mound, I felt good. I felt comfortable. And, my first outing was great. Um, I, I punched Colby Rasmus on like three pitches. I think I punched the next dude. And then a ground ball. And then I went back out for the next inning. And actually, I might have had a one walk sprinkled in there. And then a ground ball. And then I went back out the next inning. and Had a lefty leading off. Punched him. And then I got pulled. Because there was a string of righties coming up. I think it was like Correa, Springer, Altuve. and I got pulled. Um... But no, I mean, it's like warming up, that was, that was the hard part, was like getting up and warming up and, and, and reality setting in, like this is about to happen, like right. you're, you're about right. to pitch in the big leagues, you're going into a game, but man, once I went out there, just, dude, it's still 60 feet, 6 inches, um, yeah. same game, just a lot bigger stage and the hitters are a lot better,
4: yeah.
3: um, same game though, still, I've been pitching from 60 feet, 6 inches for a long time, um, What? You know, in your mind, let's let's try not to make it more than what it is. Let's let's lock it in right here, and just it's just what you got to do.
1: And it's a it's a bit of a chess match, you know. It is,
3: yeah. And especially being a young guy, I was talking to Zach Britton before I went in. He's like, "Hey, be aggressive with your fastball. Like these guys don't know you; they don't know anything about you. They have no scouting report on you. You throw hard. Go, you know, attack them. Go at them with your fastball." And I think. You know that first outing i did i threw, i threw a lot of I threw a lot of fastballs anyway but that outing um you know and this is coming from a guy who was the best closer in baseball at the time um he's had some injuries since since that have um that have hurt some, but he you know he's the best closer in baseball and he's like, hey, you know go right at him, man you got good stuff, you got really good stuff, so having somebody like that tell you like hey you, you you're you're a big leaguer like you're here now." you belong here, you know, that gives you a lot of confidence in itself.
0: Have you played in Texas much? I played for the at the Rangers? Uh, I mean, at the Rangers. Not in Arlington. Arlington? Yes, in Arlington.
3: I didn't. I, uh, we were getting ready to
0: make that trip and I got, uh, I got auctioned back to AAA. Um, I've always heard it's one of the hottest yeah. places to play.
3: Yes. Everybody says that trip down there is, you know, that's, that's a, you get ready for it. That's the cool thing about Houston. You know, if it's, it's hot, they're closing, you know, they're closing the roof, mm-hmm. um, you know, they're closing the roof and turning the AC on. But, um, yeah, Arlington, man, you get down there in the dog days of summer and, uh, you know, you, you better be ready for it. Cause a lot of these guys, you know, we're, we're from the South, we're used to the heat and humidity and that's just another day in paradise for us. But these guys that are a little softer, you know, from these, you know, parts I won't mention, uh, <laughs> <laughs> they have a tough time handling the humidity.
1: Yeah. Now, now our 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 closing pitchers are they a little bit different in the head? Man,
3: pitchers in general are usually a little different in the head, <laughs> but there's some man that are pretty crazy. They're pretty psycho. Um, but no, some of them are just as cool and calm as collected as as you could expect. But. Um, no, there's some that are just absolute psychos. Just don't even get in their way if their if their name is called and they're going to game. Just you just yield the other way.
1: Like I just think of the task that they have to, you know, that they're being put up against. Like you're you're getting put in to win
3: their this game. are very difficult to get, and you know you're on the road somewhere like Fenway Park, and you got three, four, five coming up, or Yankee Stadium, and you're trying to protect a one run lead, and you're facing Didi Gregorius and John Carlos Stanton and Aaron Judge. Um, there's pressure there's yeah. a lot of pressure um, people you know a lot of these guys that are the best man they make it look very very easy but you talk to them and get them in one on one and they'll open up to you about you know about how it really is but uh, that's just part of it when it's go time you gotta lock it in and say here we go let's do
0: this I've, I've, I'm friends with Jim Kern do you know who Jim is? Jim Jim owns emu Jim owns emu Outfitting. He played the majors for a dozen, 13 14 years. He was a closer for Texas. He was the aids relief pitcher of the year, like nineteen eighty one or eighty two. Hell of a reliever. He just played before the money was really good for that to be as good. He was very, very good. But I've had lots of stories about the old timers. And Fergie Jenkins has been here at our lodge a couple of times with him and. And lots of good stories that go with it. And but I'm sure it's changed because of the iPhone and politically correctness and all this shit you got to worry about today that they didn't have to worry about back in the day. But you you know, but Jim, you know, acts like there wasn't. There's not a lot of shit talking in baseball, is there? These days, there's more,
3: um, especially between certain teams uh, and certain you know situations that may have happened. You know, you'll see stuff spill over from. The previous season into the next year you know maybe somebody slid in hard or you know somebody got drilled and um or you know people they they seem to have a, a long memory when it comes to stuff that really pisses them off in baseball um, like,
0: like the toronto so, texas deal
3: yeah i mean that, that's pretty much you know over with now but man uh it, it gets pretty chippy you know i mean guy's a lot of guys kind of wear their emotions on their sleeve and you know, somebody looks at them wrong or somebody pops off or they don't like the way somebody reacted to a, a home run or or the way that, that you reacted after striking them out. Um, no, I, I would say it gets pretty, pretty chippy, you know, a decent bit, you know? Yeah, there is
0: quite a lot of shit talking. Have you had to do a brushback ever?
3: I have. Yeah. I've, uh, What's a I've,
4: what's a th- brushback?
0: I think back.
3: I've only hit one guy, on intentionally in my career. <laughs> but I've thrown like up under people's hands quite a quite a bit. You know, if I get somebody, you know, somebody might be in like an O two count, and they take like a mega G hack on me or something, I'll throw one up under the hands, like, look, dude, you're not going to swing in an O two two count like it's three one. Like this is still my plate, um, you know. But <laughs> no, I've uh, intentionally. Uh, like I'll throw pitches inside, like in, in not trying to hit them and not trying to throw it for a strike. I'll throw in like with a purpose to, to open up the outer half of the plate for me, Mm -hmm. but as far you know, so I'll, I'll brush people off and you know, that's part of pitching and part of the mental side of it. But, um, as far as like drilling somebody, I, I think I've only dotted up one person on purpose.
0: And you throw 98 miles an hour, don't you?
3: I don't throw quite that hard, but not not far from
0: it. I think you're being nice because I did some homework on you, and your scouting report says you throw ninety five to ninety eight. Uh, they're they're being they're being nice. So when you hit the guy, did you throw it ninety eight miles an hour when you tried when you hit him, or <laughs> well, would you let off a little? I bit? I sure tried to let her God rip. God damn, that's got to <laughs> hurt well, like I don't a
3: know s- if it was. But I sure tried.
0: Uh, <laughs> Son of a bitch, <laughs> so it's gonna, gonna hurt. do it.
3: You might as well do it the right way, you know. I mean, I, I think this one stemmed from a guy. Um, he hit a home run, a no doubt home run, and he he stood in the box and admired it for a little bit longer than what is accepted uh-huh. or what most people would think would be accepted. And um, it, it, it was a, it was a I mean it was a clutch home run, but um, he, he he stood in there much too long than what what anybody's okay with, and I knew that. There were some people upset about it and uh you kinda have to just protect your teammates. That's what it's all about. Like if a couple of your guys get hit, sometimes you have to go in there and and, and make a point. You know, it's like, hey, we got that pitch too. You know, if you're gonna hit our four hole guy, our best guy, then expect your best guy to get hit. You know, if you are gonna be doing that, then uh we can do that too. And you, it's just all about protecting your teammates. You'll never have a manager or somebody come up directly and say hey drill this guy like a manager will never direct you to do that right you have to police yourselves but you know when a situation comes up where you need to you need to to protect your teammates and have your back and your guys will respect you for it but if you go out there and you don't in the situation that calls for it then the guys aren't going to have your back and they're going to think you're a big fat puss yeah um if you if you go out there and I'm just going to pitch to this guy. You know, it's like, no, man, it's it's just time to make a point, show your teammates, like, hey, I got you. Mm -hmm. Because maybe the next time that you need that big clutch double play, maybe that shortstop remembers, you know, Mm -hmm. last time you had his back and he makes some badass play to get you out of a bases loaded jam or something because he was was all in for you, you know?
1: Right.
0: Well, I guess if you're going to hit somebody, you'd rather hit somebody vertically challenged like Jose Altuve than you would Aaron Judge. Man,
3: whoever it needs to be, you know, if it's their best player. Whoever their best player is, that's who it is. If you hey, drill our shortstop, and it's and we feel like you know, maybe your shortstop's getting drilled. I mean, if it, if a guy spins a breaking ball and it backs up on him, that's fine. If a guy accidentally fastball slips, no big deal. But if dudes are like constantly trying to go inside, somebody gets hit two or three times in the same series. It's like, hey, maybe it may wasn't on purpose, but it's like you can't just keep hitting our guys without any repercussions. So if, if Aaron Judge is their right fielder and their four-hole hitter, maybe their right fielder, who's their power hitter, maybe that's who we're going to hit, you know? Mm.
1: Has anybody ever charged the mound at you?
3: No, I haven't. Um, I haven't. I haven't never had that happen. I've um, Last year I thought a dude was going to – um when I was in AAA, A he kind of took a few steps and, mm-hmm. and it wasn't intentional I just just hit him I think I was just trying to go in and hit him in the back and, <laughs> uh, he took a couple steps and I I've, I've always had a plan for like if it happened but it never has well, what's your I've point? always planned you you know I'm left-handed so I would just put my glove you know my glove's on my what's up, dude um you know I'll put my glove my glove is on my right hand so what I'll do is just take my glove off, hold it in my right hand, and when we'll they get about, I don't know, maybe two steps, just kind of like just a front toss, like my glove right there, and then just as my glove is going toward their face, my, you know, my left hand is coming right behind it. <laughs> <Like> my, <laughs> that's my thing. Because I know by the time all that happens, if a dude does charge him out and he's big and gets out to me really quick, <laughs> the other guys are going to be there.
0: So, yeah. you're, so you're relying I'm on everybody else.
3: Like one – you know, one little quick thing and then the guys are going to be on me, but I don't want to be, you know, just like a little short off of my glove and then they go up to just kind of block my glove and then boom, right there. And then by then my first base, third base catcher, if they're really big, it's not a big deal because they're going to have them by then anyway. So that's, that's, that's always been my plan, but I've, you know, I've never had to do that. And hopefully I'm, Hopefully, I never have to. But because um, I'm, I'm not confrontational. You know, I don't, <laughs> I'm not out there to fight people. I'm not out there to get you out. But if somebody does some ass dude is charging the mound, I'm not just gonna let him like stroke me in the face. You
4: know? Yeah, like,
0: yeah. Exactly. I mean, I'm gonna, exactly. I'm gonna
3: try to hit him. You know, for sure. I'm not, I'm not gonna back up and run away. I can promise you that. Yeah. So yeah. that would not happen. I don't care how big they are.
0: you Put the old Nolan Ryan on his ass.
3: And I, I mean, that sucked to be on the receiving end of that. Yeah, but he, uh, he whipped Robin Ventura's nah, ass. Not big enough to go for any move like that. I'm just <laughs> all I'm going for is like the, the the initial encounter, and then hoping my dudes have my back by the time that's over with. I'm not big enough to put somebody in it. All right, let's, not let's, not, let's, com, not relative to the guys I'm playing against. I mean, I'm not like a small guy, but. I am small when it comes to professional baseball players. Being six foot, hundred and eighty five pounds, most of these guys are six four, six five, two twenty to two fifty, two sixty. So, um I'm 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 overmatched.
1: If you broke your hand throwing a your wife would be on your ass. Throwing a punch. What's that? If you broke your hand throwing a punch in a game, your wife would probably not be very happy with you.
3: No, no, she wouldn't, but I mean, what do you do, you know? I mean, yeah, no, your only right options it. either to, uh, I mean, if when a dude's bigger than you, what, what are your options? I mean, you either run away and look like a puss, which I'm not going to do that, or you just sit there and wear it <laughs> like a, you know, and, and I'm not doing that, yeah. so
0: that's really the only option. <laughs> yeah, you can't run in front of 40,000 people.
1: Fuck if you can't, no, I would. No. I would. If Aaron Judge is after my no. ass or those big steroid freak Mark McGuire, nah, I'm running.
0: Adrenaline makes you stand up and hope to hell you got some backup yeah, kind of I, real fast. You got so much
3: adrenaline, dude. Even
0: if you got popped
3: square, man, you got so much adrenaline. A situation like that, shoot. You
0: can feel it until,
3: until everything calmed down.
1: I think I would just like, kind of like you, Like if my catcher's right on his ass, I might throw a punch. But if my catcher if I, if it doesn't look like the catcher's gonna get to him in time, I might like throw a little half ass kick or something or throw my glove at him that that's that would be my plan of attack' because i'm a i'm a vagina
3: they're they're usually they're usually right there man they get there quick especially if you're a dude that they like respect and they know you've got their back they're gonna be they're gonna be there to protect you um definitely
0: and and a catcher's the toughest a bitch in the world anyways usually
3: they are. They're hard-nosed dudes, man. They they get beat up and balls bouncing off the dirt and taking them off the, the wrist and the forearm and the nuts. And, I mean, those
0: guys, are they're tough as nails. Yeah. Not, they're not scared of anybody.
1: Not to brag, but that's what I played in high school.
0: Okay. <laughs> All right. We're going to jump to decoys now. We've taken enough of it. Okay. Yeah, we're, we're off topic. We went from Donald Trump to baseball to Kate Upton to – back now we're gonna get to decoys in the decoy market y'all have kind of taken over with these silhouettes what what what's the game plan going forward i mean are we gonna any new products coming out we can talk about anything yes we we have
3: we have uh some some awesome new products that i can't get too deep into it um you know coming in in uh late july early august we're gonna have a lot of new products um I tell you what, we're gonna. Our goal with Dive Bomb is we're we're gonna keep getting better. There's nobody, and I mean nobody that 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 will ever match Will to keep getting better for our customer service. Uh, Cody has built such a good foundation with this company, and 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 I told him I was like, dude, as long as I'm a part of this thing, like I am an unbelievably competitive dude, and I don't want anybody anybody doing better than me at anything i don't care if it's if it's knitting a sweater Mm -hmm. um so when it comes to this thing i was like dude we're we're all in he's all in um he's he's a very very brilliant mind um and uh, we we make a a really good a good team to to just keep growing but our will to to keep getting better is very, very strong and you're, you know, you're going to see a lot of, a lot of new things from that. We're, we're not stopping where you're at. If, if that's what you're asking, I can tell you, it's going to keep getting bigger and better.
1: So how did you guys kind of break through? Because, you know, was it, is it social media or, or how did you guys, you know, break through? You're everywhere now.
3: Um, so, my, we we try to get in as many outlets as we can. and We're very open minded when it comes to to um, our marketing and and the way to get our name out there. And we realize this day and age, uh, the way to reach people, the days of of putting a, a, a DVD out or putting a you know, I get it. We we could sell in in any big box store that we wanted to. That's that that wouldn't be a problem. But then you know they would have to mark them up to make money and then we would have to sell them for more expensive because you can't undercut your retailers. So, um, you know, that's why, and we do all of our, our, we do a lot of aggressive marketing. We're on, you know, on social media, we're extremely active. Um, and, and all pretty much all platforms except Twitter, I'd say, which there, I really don't see a benefit for Twitter for uh, a company that's so visual as us, but we like to get like we're you know, do stuff like what you guys, uh, what we're doing with you guys, these podcasts. You know, there's so many ways to reach people these days. I mean, times are changing. And the, your philosophies in business and how to market yourself, they've got to change. And and this is, you know, stuff like this, you know, talking with you guys and, and working with y'all and, and some of our guides and outfitters and guys that are out there running clients day in and day out and killing the heck out of birds over these decoys and spreading the word working with some of the best in the industry, some of the most established in the industry that can put their name behind our decoys and say, hey, no long, you know, not are these just badass decoys for guys that that um that are trying to, you know, build a spread without breaking the bank, but we're confident in using these decoys with the guys that are the best in the world. They're the best at what they do. They're the best in the industry, and if these guys can run them, then I'd say so they've proven that they kill birds. They've proven that they're effective and that, that builds confidence. You know, we try to get ourselves in, in magazines and, uh, in different ads to, to continue to reach people that aren't, maybe aren't quite as active in social media because we don't want to limit ourselves, um, in our audience. Uh, we want to reach everybody and I tell, I think what makes us so successful is, is we treat everybody the same, man. I, I'll say, uh, I don't, I don't care if you're ordering a hat and a hoodie or if you're ordering a hundred dozen, I've got a direct cell phone. You can call me, you can talk to me, you can bitch at me if you want. Um, we can talk decoys, decoy spreads. You can send me an email. I'm going to email you back. You're not going to have to go through a bunch of hoops to get somebody on the phone to try to ask somebody a question about a decoy spread or, or find out, you know, what you need to find out, you know, and I think that's, that's partially what's what's helped us grow is is all these just different outlets, social media and the podcast and magazines, and, and our, our guys out there just spreading the word, man, because that's, that's very effective. Just guys like you running our decoys day in and day out, just killing the shit out of birds. People see that, and they say, these guys, man, they've been in business longer than anybody. They trust them. Why shouldn't we? Right.
1: Yeah. And, and I, I truly think that Dive Bomb has done... uh to the decoy market what Trump has done to America. You may you may still what's great again. I mean, you look at the you look at the landscape and every so many people were running full bodies and you know, we were on that train for so long. And it just doesn't make sense. You can go get your product, like you said it's at you're at a basement price already, and you can just run a massive massive spread. That looks amazing. I mean, it truly does. Yeah.
3: That's what we try to explain to people is like we are like I mean, Cody talked about it. it's like we are kind of the Donald Trump of the de- like. I was like, we're not. We're here to make a great product that people can kill birds over. We're not here to to uh, keep from hurting anybody's feelings about right. uh, something that we might say or something we might do. We're here to cater hardcore hunters that are out there that believe in our product that want to run a quality product at an affordable price with unmatched customer service and that's our goal and if 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 you like that awesome holler at me let's let's get to work if if you don't like that you want somebody to be a little bit softer and uh you know maybe these guys are you know you know you know somebody that's going to tell you everything that you want to hear all the time then you know maybe we're not for you but right. um you know we're we're very much like you guys man we're uh you know we're not trying to we're not we're not standing behind something or product that we don't believe in and um but we're not trying to be trying to be all you know gushy gushy all the time because we realize it's hunting you're hunting a wild animal a wild bird and there's a lot of factors that go into it
0: yeah well you know when i first when i first saw your product we we got some shipped up here last year and i pulled it out of the deal and my, my dad's old man 74 years old and he's sitting around there, and we opened the box up and was looking at it and i go they look good but i said i sure don't know how this stake system is going to work stake system's the best part of the decoy and the decoys are great that space that y'all stake system is the is the is the make it or break it deal on a bad on a hard field when other decoys don't go in y'all's decoys go in the ground
3: uh, yeah our stakes are they're awesome man and and like you said, like with the decoy itself, dude, there's a lot of, there's some great decoy manufacturers out there. There's a lot of decoys that kill a lot of birds um, that I think are very, very quality decoys. I do think there's some things that we offer that set them apart from others. But like you said, our stakes, they're awesome. Um, they're made for the force to be applied directly into the ground. They're spring steel, powder coated. They're They're not going to bend. They're not going to warp. They're very, very rigid. They're strong stakes. Um, You know, a lot of people say, hey, can I get your stakes in frozen ground? And this goes back to another one of those things. Yeah, you could call a lot of people and they're going to say, oh, yeah, bar decoys, You can get our stakes in frozen ground. Look, if you're mid-season, upper Midwest, and you're, or sorry, late season, it's January, and you've got three, you know, foot of frozen ground, dude, you can't put an ice pick in the ground. Right. Um, It just ain't happening. You can have an ice pick and a sledgehammer, and you can't get that thing in the ground. So I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, well, yeah, you're going to go out there on the ice and just, boom, plop this thing straight through. But I will say I will put our stakes up against anybody. When the ground starts freezing and it starts getting cold, I will put our stakes up against anybody, anywhere. There's there's just times that it just ain't happening and you you got to pull out the old drill. Yep. And, uh, you know, that's just part of hunting. If you want it bad enough and you're, the birds are there and you want to get on them, and you'll be willing to willing to do that, or you know, or do something else. You know, use some ring bases or something. But uh, but our stakes—they're strong. They're you know, any you know, ninety percent of the time, you know, they they're, they're going to work. They're going to work for what you need. Like I said, I'd put them up against anybody. But with that said, there are certain situations where you just you can't get them in the ground or you you might can but it's gonna take some work i mean like major work where i would say in that situation i'd probably just go ahead and get the drill drill you a couple holes gonna take a little bit more time but shoot no more time than it takes to set these things out yeah i mean really it
0: that ain't nothing i got a test i got a testimonial last season we only had enough dive bombs to run two spreads and we had some days we had three spreads three spreads of decoys and or three three groups we'd run so there was a time for a couple of days because the ground was frozen that we would we hunted different field a couple of different fields because we could not get the decoys in unless we used the dive bombs and that's a testimonial to your stake system that there were days that we couldn't run other decoys because we did not have enough dive bombs and it changed where we hunted a couple of mornings
1: that is a true story um, that's awesome, You man. know, and, yeah, that's- and the thing that the thing that I like the most about it, we went through the winter of hell three years ago. It was fucking wet and nasty. We were having to walk in everywhere that we went. And, you know, then we got dive bombs, and you throw them all in a bag, and your bag over each shoulder, you got 10 dozen that you're walking out. And it doesn't take too many trips back to the truck to get everything that you need out there.
3: Right. And that's we try to you know uh, other than uh, the some of the things that you know I could get into a lot more detail about that's our i mean that's our main selling point you know a lot of a lot of us we're not able to to drive out into these fields with big enclosed trailers and we don't have uh the ability to store all these full bodies i mean you the your ability to to be mobile um with these decoys. Is incredible your pickup and set out time but your ability to hunt these things just out of a bed of a pickup truck i mean um you know you put five dozen in a bag there's no reason if you're if you're even decently athletic that you you shouldn't be able to at least throw three bags over your shoulder and a lot of these places we've got a we got to walk into you can't You know, you can't get permission sometimes in some of these fields to just drive out there. Sometimes they say, "Yeah, this winter wheat." You can, you know, you got to walk. You know, whether it be snow geese or whatever it may be, or you know, killing speckle bellies, and you know, it's very, very easy to still hunt a spread of forty or fifty dozen with just a few guys because of because of their mobility and their their ease of of use, and you don't have to have a big enclosed trailer, and you don't have to have a storage unit or a you know a ton of space at your house to keep these things because they just don't take up much space
0: no no and we've got three enclosed trailers behind us in the barn right now full of full body decoys and when the guys go out them trailers would stay a lot of times and they'll take out the back of the truck and hunt out the back of the truck if they have to and we can drive into our fields 90 percent of the time but we still use the dive bomb because it's a better product and it looks good and it, it just works better
3: I tell you what, I bet I bet ninety five percent of the time, if if you got clients and they you've got your dive bombs and your full bodies, I bet they grab those full bodies every time.
1: Yes, they do. Yeah, (laughs)
3: because that looks good to them. Yeah, that's uh, I I would be willing to bet that because in my experience, that people are they're kind of hesitant, and then you start explaining the benefits, other than mobility and. And uh, storage, but then you start diving a little deeper into the, you know, the vision of birds and the way they perceive their surroundings, and then you start to open people's eyes a little bit.
1: Yeah, I mean, and I've 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 had that debate many times, but but, you know, you just tell the you just tell the guys, you know, the their eyes are on the side of their head. They they can't really, you know, they can't use both eyes to focus in like we can, which is how we perceive depth.
0: So. I can tell you this also, in 20 20 plus years of being in the field or having guys in the field working for me, there's only one time that we had an issue with a silhouette decoy and it was on a wet snowstorm, kind of a blizzard type snow. It was raining and it turned to, to snow and the, the geese would come out of a canyon, and they'd come, and we'd be sitting there, and they'd make that one pass behind you, and that snow was sticking to the back of the old silhouettes we used to have, and when they get behind you, they couldn't see a decoy. They'd get in the front, and they'd break down and come right back at you again. They'd spin around, and as long as the goose didn't get behind you, it was they would just come right in and land, but they would lose you because the snow was covered up, and that's the only time that I've ever seen a time that a silhouette – that was the only problem I can ever remember because silhouette decoys are great. They work great. People just got to get past that mindset that the goose doesn't see the same as they do.
3: Right. I mean, we have, we have binocular vision. Our eyes are on the front of our head. Like right. Andy said, we are able to judge depth. We are a predator. You know, we're able to judge depth. That's what we do. With birds, they have very, very good peripheral vision. They
4: mm-hmm. have binocular
3: vision. And suckers can dang near see all the way around them. But as far as their ability to judge depth, not good. Due right. to the way that I've made them. You know, they're, they're sitting out in the middle of the field. You ain't sinking up behind them. No, uh, But their ability to judge depth is not very good. And, and 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 don't get me wrong, man. I think full bodies, I think they're a great tool. I think there's a lot of situations where full bodies are That's why I like, even though I don't run full bodies, that's why I do like to run our our socks often with our silhouette.
1: Yes. Um,
3: just because the silhouettes, you know, the per the per- the way they perceive those silhouettes, it gives the illusion of movement. As you've got them set out, as you guys know, as they circle the spread, they're constantly picking up and losing decoys. So they'll pick one right. up, lose them, pick them up, pick them up. So even though they're not moving at all, their mind tells them
4: that are moving. Them.
3: It's just like you get a drone and you fly that thing around those decoys. You're like, Oh my gosh, they look like they're moving. Well, it tells your mind that they're moving. Well, they're not moving, right? But I think one thing people ask me, they're like, "What? What is? What is the advantage?" You know, your full body, and I say, I think that with your full bodies being 3D, I think you can get away with using less decoys due to the fact that the birds aren't constantly picking up and losing decoys, but but they're but they're able to lock in on that decoy, maybe with with their left side if they're circling and they're able to continue to keep their eyes focused on their that decoy and they don't lose it so I think um, you're able to probably get away with using less decoys with full bodies I think that is 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 an advantage to a full body I also feel like maybe as the birds come in for that final finish if they're coming in a little bit higher than normal and then they're dropping altitude I think those full bodies being filled out in their sides for me not full bodies but our socks our canada socks our s3s or our speckle belly socks i think that fullness kind of helps gives that that last bit of confidence if they get a little bit too elevated over that spread where they might start start losing some decoys i think the fullness of of full bodies and socks right there in your kill spot can can um be a kind of a game changer at times as well but um you know, I think all of it goes back to how do you have your spread set? Do you have them set loose? Do you have them spread tight? You know, I, I think, you know, and I'd like to ask you guys a question, actually, because I get it asked all the time, and I'm certainly no expert on hunting big bunches of lessers and, and big spins and thousands of birds. Um, do you guys, and I get asked get all the time, how do you guys like to set your spreads when you're hunting a full silhouette spread to, because people say, "Well, should I set them all the same way?" And I say, "Well, no, because then you're you're losing the advantage of using a two D decoy. Now you're just there, like like Jeff said, he would get behind them on the snowy day, and then they would disappear. If you got them all set the same way, birds aren't going to be feeding into the wind all of them, unless it's just extremely high winds. Or right. people say, "Should I take two or three steps?" Or you know. So, what do you guys think? If you're running a big dive bomb silhouette spread you're you're on a peanut field that's been red hot with lessers how do you like to to go out and attack that
1: well if, if, if it's red hot what i'm gonna do i'm just gonna throw a basic U at them basic uh you know we're gonna hide kind of at the head of the spread and we're gonna have two wings and it's gonna look like a horseshoe or a u and i would just uh say it's a south wind okay just but I'm gonna put I'm gonna put the head positions in every direction, and I've had guys argue with me. Well, you know, birds feed into the wind and all this other stuff, and you know, back to your point, this is a two-dimensional object. So if we if we face all these into the wind, <clears throat> the birds are gonna see them all at once. They're gonna lose them all at once. So I'll just it's a it's basically just a free for all, and it's about every two steps, and I'll just uh, you know, I'll have one facing straight south. I'll have one facing south southwest, south southeast, southeast, east. I'll even go maybe, you know, a little northeast or something. But I'll just I when as a guide, when we have that, I just tell my guys, head position doesn't matter. Keep them 3 feet apart. And that's and so that's what basically you're, it. No,
3: you're you're saying don't make it more difficult than it has to be. No, get absolutely on the X not. And get covered up. You're
1: on the X. Your odds are better than great that you're going to have a good morning hunt, um, you know. And if, if you're on the X like that, head position is not going to matter, um, unless unless it's just a 40 mile an hour. And I don't even think that the the birds, uh, you know, if, if even if it is a 40 mile an hour wind day, they're not going to give a shit if if one of your decoys is, you know has his ass to the wind. They're just wanna They're going to want to fucking get down and eat get out of the wind so as a guide what i would tell my guys is let's keep these decoys three to five feet apart heads can go any direction and then let's move on to something else don't over. and how them.
3: many in a situation like this are you talking uh, about running you know you're hunting a big big feed
1: 50 dozen 40 dozen mm-hmm. for us you know that's and it. i think
3: i think the idea that, that you've got space I think another thing is when that, that sun starts coming up, I think the shadow that they put off is extremely, extremely realistic that because w- of their super high profile. And that- I like the idea of having space because your shadows aren't blended into one another. And then those times when the birds do get get elevated and get up above that spread when that sun comes up, they can really, really see that, you know? Yeah.
1: And that was actually... um I, I at the beginning of all the episodes I actually cut the promo for dive bomb and Ron pulled me aside and was like, Hey, you need to talk about the shadows in one of your promos because that is just as important as how good the decoy looks, because that adds another dimension that the birds are used to seeing. You know, when they're coming into a field, they're always used to seeing shadows and having a good looking shadow that is also moving adds another element to to the to the bird's sight, so a shadow is very important. So yeah, keep them five feet apart or so, and uh, let that shadow work. Kind of like you said, um, if you if you bunch them all together, you can kind of have one blob of a of a shadow. But yeah, that's funny that you bring up shadows because Ron was like, you need to bring, you need to talk about that in one of your promos.
3: And those those peanut fields, that, that I, know, I know that you know you guys talk about the peanut. A peanut field now are those primarily I mean are they pretty much do they look like dirt fields or is there some ground you know is there some uh, I mean what is what is that because we have a lot of people they I talk about the advantages of, of a silhouette you know people say well I use my shells or my full bodies and I'm like man
0: you know because I'm
3: the reason I ask is hunting mostly in Arkansas you know we're hunting a lot of ground double, especially like if we're hunting speckle bellies you know we'll be in like rice stubble and stuff like that, or when we go up to Canada, you know, we might be in like a burnt barley field or something. And the way that those decoys pop out of that, you know, they don't get lost in that ground clutter. Correct. The way Correct. the way that shells really, really do, and the way that even full bodies that aren't oversized do. So that's why I was asking about about the peanut fields. I, I for some reason in my mind I think they're they almost kinda look like bare dirt fields, but I could be wrong.
0: Sweeping. They, okay. Okay. With but some it, stubble. It, with with some stubble, but not, I mean, we're talking just debris. So those decoys are really popping out there yes. in that
1: field. Yes, and especially with as dark as you guys have them, which is another thing that I, that, that I love about it is they're a little bit darker. And um, I got to talk to you about maybe a possible decoy in the future. And maybe it's already in the future. Maybe it's already in the works at Dive Bomb. But uh, the way that these decoys pop is so much better than uh, – Some of the other decoys that we run. You know, you look at a bird, and I've talked about this in other podcasts, it's brown, tan, got a black head, white cheek patch. Speckle bellies are all brown and tan. They have an excellent job of camouflaging themselves to their surroundings. With these dive bombs, they're a little bit darker, and it sticks out in our fields just that much more. And, you know, sight is always going to travel further than sound, so on days that you're having to hunt a traffic field or something like that, uh, not necessarily the X say you're off of it. You can run you a big uh big spread of dive bombs that are you know, just a little bit darker, but they're gonna stand out that much more to those birds off in the distance. Right. So that's And and,
3: and you and you talk about like the deep and the dark colors, like that's our I mean that that is our, our biggest goal with these silhouettes is is we all know the the number one enemy is is glare, right? I yep. mean, it's glare, it's shine. Birds see differently than we do. They can see UV. Uh, we, we we still aren't completely sure at the way they perceive things. We think we kind of have an idea, but what we do know that we can take to the bank is glare and shine is your enemy. 100%. So, I mean, that's that's why with with what we use with our images, the way we print them, using these textured, we use non-glare ink additives. This The printing that we use is, is a very, very high dots per inch that not only allows for the, the image resolution to be the quality of it to be extremely, extremely high, but also we're taking into effect that our number one enemy is glare and we want to take every step that we possibly can to just make sure that that, that does not cause you to lose a group of birds. I mean that's that is that's that's usually what the number one question that people ask. So like, do your decoys shine? And I'm like, come on, man. <laughs> I'm like we're not we're hunters, you know, and we talk to a lot of guys, and that's how I think we keep getting better is we talk to guys like you guys because I'm no expert on on killing lessers now i mean i've I've hunted them before, but yeah, I like talking to guys like you guys that do it day in and day out every day of the season, out there grinding you you're hunting big groups, uh you have the ups and downs of the season when things are going good, that things aren't going so good, and finding out what works, what doesn't work what um, you know, what, what, what needs to be changed? What, what do you like best? You know, so that's why, that's why we really like, uh, working with guys like you and and having good relationships with guys in the industry that, that are, that are reputable and they've been doing what they've been doing successfully, uh, for a long time because it, it just helps, it helps us get better and it helps us provide, uh, you guys with a quality product, which hopefully ends up with, you know, more birds in the bag, which equals happy clients, which equals big tips and rebooking clients. So, uh, ultimately we, you know, to keep everything going full circle, you know, we do we don't have it all figured out. You know, we, we've got certain species that we know and we know well, and we like to educate ourselves on everything else, but you cannot replicate, uh, experience and time in the field. You cannot, um, you, you can't, there is no there's no uh, there's no way you can you can replicate that unless you're doing like what you guys do with You're day in and day out, or the guys in the spring that are
4: hunting, so,
3: chasing yeah. the snow geese day in and day out. Different weather, different wind. Um, the guys that are like me hunting out temper or guys that are hunting specks. You know, I mean, it's we we've got a general idea. You know, it was like uh, your sea duck thing was was great. It was very interesting because man, I was like how do they do that? You know, what do they do? <laughs> they go offshore. And he started talking about flight patterns and I was like, man, that is so cool. Yeah, And I was, you know, he's talking about the dog and the shark. And I'm like, golly, I never thought about that. And anchoring from the back to go get down birds. And then you started asking him if people following him, following him out with my experience in Arkansas. Sorry, I'm getting off topic, no. but that one really, like I really locked in there. Cause I was like, Oh, there's gotta be people that are just like at the ramps, following the dude out. Yeah. Uh, so just learning about different areas and, and our guys that are out there running on man, uh, that's, that's just invaluable to us. So it's, it's super cool to, to get feedback from, from, from guys like you that are, that are doing it every day. Cause a large, large, uh, portion of our clients are, are, are hunting Canada geese. Um, a lot of guys that are hunting the little ones and we also got a lot of guys that are better that are, that are chasing the honkers too so um, it's it's great to to get input good and bad because we know man at the end of the day we don't always have it all figured out so right well, uh, these relationships have, have really helped us a lot try to just keep getting better
1: well you guys definitely have a, a superior product um you know we have been doing this for 20 years and it has just we would still be on the full body carousel had, had you guys not come around and it just, it just doesn't make sense. And that's when you look back on something and like when you, when you were like, when you're all in on, on, on an idea, like we were the full body idea and then you get on the, the silhouette train and you're like, son of a, we made life so difficult for three or four years, dragging these full bodies in and out and in and out, having to walk these bitches in and it, you just, you just think, motherfucker, we made things so difficult but uh, you know we're on the right path now, and great product. I
3: can't imagine being a guy and doing it day in and day out, and um, yeah, that's a grind. People do not understand the grind that you guys go through. I'd like to think that I somewhat understand it uh, with baseball season, even though it's it's a different type of grind. Uh, it is a daily, everyday thing that you're completely committed to for. over half of the year
4: Mm -hmm. and
3: um, a a lot of people they don't get the gun man there's times that you know I I hear you talking like sometimes I just need a little me time or sometimes you know I just want to ride in the truck by myself it's like dude sometimes after I come out of a game I don't want to like talk about baseball like I don't want people to call me and ask me about the game I just want to talk about life and how everything else is going and like you guys said fantasy football so the the grind is real, and uh, I think a lot of people, especially when you start dealing with the hours that you guys are dealing with in the early mornings and the clients that are maybe difficult sometimes, and I'm sure you get a lot of just badass, awesome dudes come through, and then sometimes you got guys that are um, a little negative Nancy. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, the, we respect the grind very much of you guys because uh man I, I know even when we'll just go to like canada for like nine or ten days and i'll notice after like a week i'm like <laughs> holy shit dude yeah. like i'm exhausted yeah you know i'm just like i'm kind of looking forward to sleeping in you know getting home and i'm i'm obsessed with hunting. so mm-hmm. you guys doing it every single day um that's that's pretty great you've got to be dedicated to it and I know you guys are which is which is cool because it takes a pretty pretty special person to uh be willing to you know to go through the grind of, of a waterfowl season like that well
1: the the mental game is is what a lot of people don't don't uh, take into consideration it is i mean it is truly more mental than anything uh you're constantly trying to outsmart a bird um you got a wife and kids at home that you've just left for, you know, even when I'm home and you can probably being a professional baseball player, even when I'm home during season, I'm not home. You know, my mind's always somewhere else or I'm going to bed before nine o'clock. And so even when I'm home, I'm not really home. Um, but just staying sharp mentally. And like you said, you just got to wake up every day and, and kind of, do a little nut check and
3: say it's go time go slap that glove I heard Jeff talk about before he was talking about um, um, you know it's easy whenever man everything's going good and you're just in a red hot field and you're yeah. just banging limits 30 minutes everybody's happy high five and but kind of like you said you're you're defined by when things aren't going so good yeah. you know whenever Things are a little bit off, or you know, birds are getting stale. Uh, the wind and the weather's not right. Um, that's what defines. Um, I think that's what uh, defines the uh, the guys that are that are real, and the, the guys that that don't stick around very long. Because, like I've heard you guys say a lot, um, and it's the same way in baseball, dude. This game's fun as hell whenever you're kicking ass. Like mm-hmm. you're going out there, throw two, three scoreless innings you know, shut, you know, go three, four, five, punch out two, dude, this game's fun as shit. But when you go out there and you get your teeth kicked in and give up a walk-off home run, dude, it sucks. Yep. Like it sucks and it hurts. It hurts. But finding a way to come back mentally, same thing with you guys, dude, like you're going out there banging limits and it's, it's awesome. Like you're kicking ass. Everybody's happy. Tips are good. And then you have this one group come in that you really want to do good for. And maybe they're good customers, good little customers, good people. And man, that's where you find out, like, who you are, like, what you're made of. It's like, okay, how is my attitude? You know, because all we can control is the things we can control, right? You yeah. know, all we we can't control the weather, control the birds. All we can control is, you know, we can control our spread, our hide, our setup. But the biggest thing is our attitude and how, how we're going about this situation when things aren't going the way we want it to go. So that's, I think it's cool that y'all talk about that, too, because it's so easy You know, like, like Jeff says, dude, it's easy when you go out there, everything's just the stars are lined up and everything's gray. You you don't have to be a world-class guy to kill birds in situations like that, Mm -hmm. you know, but when you separate yourself, that's whenever you find a way to kill birds and get it done on days where things aren't, aren't coming quite so easy.
4: Well,
1: we definitely, when we started this podcast, we wanted to do a couple things, but the, the most important thing that we wanted to do is we wanted to give people the honest the honest point of view of what it's like doing this seven days a week. And it's not always pretty guides do steal bands. Uh, but I'll tell you the, the part that I struggle with the most and people listening are going to kind of shake their head at this. But when I'm at my lowest in the season is on the walk back to the truck after we've shot a limit, because in my mind I'm thinking, motherfucker, this is over and I've got to go out and do it again. (laughs) <laughs> it, it, it's it's the truth i mean that high once the high fives are done and hell yeah great hunt and my lanyard goes in my bag my stomach goes in knots and i think shit that's over i tell you what
3: whenever i whenever we come out there me and cody come out there i'm i'm gonna be a retriever i'm gonna be sprinting out there
4: <laughs> uh, yeah
3: i'm gonna be out there with my with my pliers <laughs> just
1: just know that if i come back with a speckle belly and i got the neck in the leg racing your dog. <laughs> yeah but you know it's it's the truth and we we're, we're honest about everything so
0: well uh asher it's been an, a real pleasure having you on here we want to have you on here again and we appreciate the bond that we've developed with with dive bomb and we hope that relationship continues for a long long time we plan on this podcast I have no idea where this podcast will go it's growing like crazy I mean every week we grow 100 to 200 percent so I don't know what the ceiling is on it but we are continuing to grow and we're picking up people from all over the world and we appreciate y'all being a part of that with us
3: yeah man you guys are doing a great job it's it's, uh, very informative Um, I I think people can learn a heck of a lot um, from the podcast I think I think you guys are doing great and, and we're happy to be a part of it and, uh, and, and looking forward to uh, seeing how it grows and seeing seeing how this relationship grows. But uh, I appreciate you guys having me on, and uh, enjoyed it.
1: You're not playing in Rhode Island anytime soon, are you? No,
3: not going to Rhode Island.
1: Um, Rhode, Rhode Island is the only state that we don't have listening to our podcast. We've got 15 countries and 49 no, states.
0: 23 countries as of this morning.
1: Oh, I stand correct. So if you go to Rhode Island –
3: I figured they had some Canada geese over there.
1: I don't know. We've got 49 states and 23 countries. So if you go to Rhode Island, drive through there, download one of our Read podcasts. The yeah. Please do. That way we can say we're in all 50 states cuz it's been 49 for a month now. It's pissing me hey, off. you
3: guys you guys are doing great, man. Um I think it's I think it's real. Like you said, I think it's real and I think people like real. I think sometimes with the social media and everything these days everything is so fake and
4: mm-hmm. every
3: everybody just wants to paint the, the prettiest picture all the time but uh i think it's real and i think that's probably why you guys are are trending the way you're trending um because because people like real and they like transparent and uh, i think you guys are doing a, a nice job keep it up and we'll uh we'll we'll keep doing our best to to uh provide the the highest quality product that we can
1: awesome where can people reach you at asher
3: so um, you can reach us on Instagram, Dive Bomb Industries. You can reach us on Facebook at Dive Bomb Industries. Uh, if you ever have any questions, concerns, uh, you, can, you can send an email to info at industries.com or I've got a direct cell phone that goes to me. And if you want to call an order or talk about anything or whatever it may be, you can call me on that. It's uh, 314-322-7486. Um, like I said, that's a, that's a direct phone to me and, uh, I'll be glad, be glad to talk and call me seven days a week, 365 days a year. And if I don't answer, I'll, I promise I'll call you back. So, uh,
1: if you don't answer, you're probably in the dugout, leave a message. I won't
3: be answering in the dugout. only phone I'm answering is when the phone rings.
1: There you go. Well, thank you so much for your time, Asher. Go have a great rest of your day. You playing this evening or what?
3: We are, yeah. We got a six thirty-five game, so I'll I'll be heading over here over well, here in about twenty or thirty minutes. Get ready. Will two you be last see- night? So I think I'm I think I'm good for a small day today. I threw two last night, so I'm
1: oh, keep okay. my feet up today. Go golfing or something.
0: Well, you you be safe, and if you, if, you, if you, we can do anything to help you, let us know. And we appreciate you being on here. And ladies and gentlemen, that's Asher Tolliver, and he's got a president with a picture with President Donald Trump
1: and his little hands.
0: Make America great again, because we're making the best silica- silhouettes again. Yep.
1: Perfect. All right. Jeff, what do you got?
0: I got nothing, really, other than thank y'all for it so much. Oh, yeah. Go to iTunes. Give us some reviews on iTunes. Uh, put Tumblr down there. I'm going to send some more tumblers out. Uh, we got a hunt November 19th, 20th, and 21st, I believe. The podcast hunt. I've got some spots left. We've about filled one group up. at $750 for three morning goose hunts, lodging, and meals. And I've still got one group small group open for the opening weekend of dove season and i got a group opening for the third weekend in dove season that'd be september first weekend september 15th weekend and that's all i got left during dove season so it's 450 for a weekend dove hunt that's hunt friday saturday and sunday meals supper friday night three meals saturday and breakfast sunday morning and another morning hunt so anyways that's about it
1: be sure follow me on instagram at andy underscore shaver um fourth of july we're giving away a four-man goose hunt. It's on Facebook now. Go follow the rules, enter it, and have a good one, guys. And the Big
0: Honker Podcast Facebook site or website will be up in the next week or so, won't it?
1: Well, looky there.
0: Yeah, we're gonna have, we're gonna have Big Honker Pod Westcat, uh, Big Honker Pod website, and it will have links to our sponsors. It's William and Chris Wine seven thirty seven calls and Dive Bomb Decoys and Stanfield Hunting Outfitters. Anyways, thank you. God bless and have a great weekend.